dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, but separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. One of the traditional things, so hold on, one of the traditional things we do on Easter is I'm going to say, He is risen. And you guys are all going to say, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You may be seated. Yeah, that's worth cheering for. Now, we're, we're not doing announcements and stuff today, but I do want to take a moment to dismiss some of our children. Um, so if you are here and you are in grade two or younger, we do have children's programs for you. And if you'd like to take part in those, the grade one and twos are coming this way and our preschool programs are out this way. And so you can take a moment to do that. I hope I didn't miss anything. <laughs> Pardon me? Oh, kindergarten goes this way too, my mistake, sorry. So kindergarten to grade two, you can head out this door. Preschool can go this way. And let's pray together. Living Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are risen in victory. We thank you that we can come together to celebrate that fact, that you have died for us, that God raised you from the dead for us, that you have ascended into heaven for us, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us today, that we are your church, and we gather in your name because of all that you have done. We thank you that you are with us now. You're real-time present, God. 
And I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your presence this morning and to whatever you would speak to us and whatever you would do. We have the privilege of hearing about your work in many people's lives today. May that be an encouragement and a space of new life for us, just as the resurrection is and just as baptism is. So we lift this time into your hands, Jesus. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Amen. So I have 10 minutes or less to try to talk to you about both Easter and baptism, which are subjects that I could talk to you about for a lot longer than 10 minutes, even if we took one at a time. Um, because today, we are not just coming together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, but we're coming together to celebrate you know, the act of obedience of nine people this morning who are coming to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection through baptism. So we get to talk about both. And so I'm very thankful for Paul, for the Apostle Paul, and the letter to the Romans, where he brings these things together for us. And so we're going to read another passage of Scripture. And I don't normally do this twice, but I'm going to ask you to stand again <laughs> as we read Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. I know you're going to be sick of getting up and down, but don't worry, this is the last time for a while. Um, so Romans 6, starting in verse 1. We can pop that on the screen. Thank you. Oh, we got, that's okay. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Next slide. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Did we lose it? There we go. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Sorry. Check one, two. Check one, two. Hello? I'm just going to yell, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. In the word of the Lord, you may be seated. Paul explains to us here the connection between baptism and the resurrection of our Lord that we are united with him in his death, symbolically through the act of baptism, and in that we know, we are certain, that we will be united with him in his resurrection. You see, we as, as Christians, we as followers of Jesus, are all call, called to follow Jesus. And part of that is about the day-to-day -day life of becoming like him of growing in, in all of the character traits that Jesus displayed in his life. He shows us what it means to live well, to live as children of God. But part of that means to literally follow the path that he has walked, to be united with him 
in a death like his and to be united with him in a resurrection like his. Not that we have to redo the whole thing. We don't have to, to earn it. We don't have to die on the cross like Jesus died on the cross, um, which is why we are united with him not in our own crucifixions, thank the Lord, but in baptism. This is where we symbolically join him in his death and in his resurrection. And it's therefore highly appropriate that on Easter Sunday, we celebrate and baptize together. Over the last week, so on Sunday and on Good Friday, and I know many of you weren't here for those, we've been leading up to this. So a week ago, we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry. And he, he comes into Jerusalem, and the crowds are so excited, and they cheer him, and they, they praise him as king. And what we talked about last week was that Jesus is not displaying the nature of his kingship. He's not showing us what it means that he is king in the triumphal entry. This is not the kind of king that Jesus is. He shows us what it means that he is king in dying on the cross for our sins, that we might be forgiven, in defeating death and sin and darkness, and then being raised from the dead in victory. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. And then on Good Friday, we talked through Romans 6 and, on, and about how we are called to live into this reality. We're called to walk this path. We have already died to sin if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true, and it is accomplished, and now we have the privilege of living it out, of acting accordingly, step by step, never perfectly, but always in the grace and forgiveness and victory of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And baptism is one of the ways that we live this out. So allow me a dense explanation of this, and then I'll give you a picture that helps us understand. So this is like two paragraphs that tries to encapsulate briefly the heart of baptism, but it's quite wordy. Baptism is the God-given sacrament that symbolizes our union with Christ, our appropriation of his forgiveness, our receiving the gift of his Holy Spirit who fills us and is the deposit on our inher eternal inheritance and who identifies us with the body of Christ, the church, which is called to witness and embody what it means to live in the kingdom of Jesus. You like that? That's the first paragraph. The sacrament of baptism is the action filled with the presence of God that represents our rescue from the kingdom of darkness, much like the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt through the Red Sea and are becoming part of his kingdom. It is God who accomplished and accomplishes these things, not baptism. Baptism is the symbol of God's work in our lives and an act of obedience to the command of our Lord Jesus. Now, let me put that in, a, in an image, in everyday language, so that it makes more sense. In, uh, back in the day when people, when there were sailing ships instead of motors and all this kind of thing, and you sailed the seven seas, you'd have your flag up on the mast. And the flag up on the mast is a big deal because it tells anyone who sees you out in the ocean to whom you belong. If you're flying the British flag and over the horizon comes another ship, you get that spyglass out to see its flag as fast as possible because if it's flying another a British flag too, you know you're meeting friends and it's going to be peaceful and it's going to be good. But if they're flying the French flag, you can run out the cannons, right? Like if there's a war going on. And it really matters. You watch very carefully. It matters which flag is nailed to that mast. Baptism is the act of nailing the Jesus flag to our mast. 
so that the world, seen and unseen, knows to whom you belong. So that when people encounter you day in and day out, you're wearing the flag of Jesus, announcing to the world whose you are what you stand for, which kingdom you belong to, right? When those ships meet on the high seas, they represent the country whose flag that they're flying. When we go out from the Sunday morning service into the world, we represent Jesus whose flag we are flying. So that's an analogy that says the same thing as the really wordy bit that I said before. And as we celebrate today then, the nine people who are taking part in baptism. The reason I'm not going to talk for very much longer, like one more minute, is because we get to hear their stories. What each of them is going to do before they get baptized is to share just a couple minutes, because there's nine of them, and if they shared more, we'd be here for a long time. Life stories can take a long time, as I'm sure you all know, but they're going to share a couple minutes about them and Jesus, about what God has done in their life. Not the whole thing. God has done way more in their life than they're going to be able to tell us, but a few highlights, a few key points. Um, they've each prayed about this and thought through what it is they want to share. As we hear those stories, they become an invitation. For those of us who are here this morning, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this morning is a time to be reminded of the work that God has done and is doing in our own lives, and a time to be encouraged by the work that God has done and is doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And it is good to be reminded of our baptism, of which flag is flying from our mast. But I know there are some of us here today who are not followers of Jesus Christ and who have not been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're really glad that you're here. Um, it can take some courage to come to a strange place like church. So thanks for putting up with your weird family or friends who dragged you out to this. It's really good. Um, but the invitation goes out to you too. Because as you hear these stories of what God has done in these people's lives, what I want you to know is that same God loves you. That same God died on the cross for you and rose in victory for you. And if as you hear those stories this morning, you start to think, man, I wish that was something God had done with me. He can. He wants to. And if that's a journey you want to begin, then please come and talk to one of the people that you've seen up front today, because we would love to pray with you and to, and to answer questions and whatever you need as you, as you start to feel that pull. That's already, if you feel that pull, that's already God pulling on your heart. You should know that. He's such a good God, and we get to hear all about him this morning.